Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. John Feinstein live in about 60 minutes. He literally wrote the book on the Army-Navy celebrated football rivalry. It is Army-Navy week. That was part of the inspiration for our next guest as well because he was a cadet at Army. He was a star point guard for that program. He was on Mike Krzyzewski's staff at Duke after that, and he now is an outstanding college basketball analyst for, among others, ESPN and The Athletic, a fine website to which I also am a contributor. Chris Spatola, happy Army-Navy week, and welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? DG, I'm doing well, partner. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I grew up in Philly, and I went to some Army-Navy games, but of course I'll never be able to say that I could experience it the way someone like you would personally. Before we even get to, like, the Army-Navy basketball game, when it came to you as a cadet and the football game rolled around, I'm trying to remember, like, how your schedule would work because Feinstein tells us that the only college football game in America where essentially the entire student bodies from both schools are in attendance at the game it is Army-Navy, but yet you might have had other responsibilities. What do you remember about the build-up to the legendary Army-Navy football game, even as you were an Army basketball guy? Yeah, it's funny. I, I actually only went to one during my time, time there. I think uh, my, my coach finally got the idea that it probably wasn't the best in the middle of our season for us to be standing out there in 25-degree weather, <laughs> marching onto the field and doing all of that. So we, we did go my freshman year, which was actually the last time they beat Navy uh, for 14 years. We, we ended up losing 14 years, and that streak started my sophomore year. Um, you know, like I tell people all the time, David, what makes it unique at, at Army, and I assume at Navy as well, is that it is indoctrinated from day one. Like when you're a plebe and everybody knows that life up there as a plebe is, is not glamorous. Uh, it's, it's pretty brutal. And, um, you know, you, you have to, what they call greet upperclassmen. So anytime you pass an upperclassman or woman at, at West point, you have to greet them with beat Navy or beat whomever the football team is playing in that given weekend. And then after the football season, anytime you pass an upperclassman, you have to say to them, beat Navy. <laughs> So, like, it's, it's, you know, it's obviously a part of the fabric, and it's, it's I think, one of the things that makes it different than other rivalries. But um, I'm, I'm hoping we can keep the, the streak going here. Like, uh, right. Mac Brown, Pilfers, our, our defensive coordinator, <laughs> Bateman, who Corrigan, who got us back to this level of prominence, is now at NC State. Like, they're killing me, man. We finally got back to beat Navy, and we're losing all our people. That's cool. Chris Spatola is joining us on the David Glenn Show. Follow him on Twitter at Chris underscore Spatola. My wife says I'm not the most sentimental guy in the world, but I have had tears in my eyes, not kidding, at an Army-Navy football game where at the end, regardless of who wins, you've got the Corps of Cadets on one side, you've got the Brigade of Midshipmen on the other side, and I think it's... They, they sing the loser's team song first and then the winner's team song second, but they're all together after trying to kill each other for three hours. You know, they, they come together in unison. How, what do you remember about how they handled such traditions, either as an observer in football, or I imagine there has to be some, you know, build up to Army-Navy basketball before, during, or after the game? Yeah, so what you're talking about with the alma maters, you know, that's, that's the thing where, 
you know, both teams, I think, it, it, you know, say it to one another. It's, you say it in the locker room, and, it, and the expression is, we want to sing second. Yeah. And, and basically, that means you, you beat Navy. And, um, you know, again, it, it's, this is why I argue with anybody, and I've been a part of some, some you know, obviously the Duke-Carolina rivalry. Right. I, I argue for the Army-Navy one simply from the standpoint that there, there is a common brotherhood there. Like, look, we, like you said, we're trying to kill each other, and, and we're competitive. We're, we're trying to win, and obviously we're trying to sing second. But there's a, there's a shared experience there, right? I mean, not only what we're ultimately going to do, and when I was at Army – like 9-11 happened my senior year. So wow. that, that Army-Navy game, like you're, you're looking each other in the eye saying, okay, like we're going to play this game and then in a few months. We're going to be off, you know, who, who knows where uh, fighting for this country. But, you know, you also have the shared experience of a military academy. Like we've all been through that freshman year. We've all in different ways, but it's a shared experience that I don't think other rivalries can kind of claim and so that's what you know I think that's what makes it special and then obviously like you said that the tradition afterwards of singing each school's alma mater which look most schools have an alma mater I would argue again that army and navies are unique and patriotic and and, and unique in their own right but uh, there's a lot of special moments that come from those events no matter what sport you're playing last thing on this and I appreciate you as a college basketball expert uh, venturing down these other roads Army Navy and otherwise but you know I'm, I'm curious about the human side of things and I have interviewed former former Army and Navy athletes as they get older and through their eyes they'll say you know I have an appreciation that there's a chance I could end up in a war not a sports war, but in a war war with the dudes who are wearing the other uniform. My question to you is, when you're 18 to 22, do you already feel the gravity of that? Or are you just trying to win a basketball game? Or in some broad sense, do you appreciate, you know, these dudes have a five-year commitment to our United States Armed Forces just like I do whenever we're done playing basketball or football. And someday, yes, we could be in a war war together. Yeah, there's no question about it, um, and that's that's kind of the shared experience that that I, you know I'm talking about. Like we've all made that commitment that look, we're we're at the academies, and again, we're 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 trying to beat your brains out. But there's a five year commitment afterwards, which is why I have to stand here and answer all your Army Navy questions. <laughs> you paid your tax dollars paid for my education. That's so right. Your service. That's right. Um, yeah, and especially, again, I go back to my experience. Like, when I when I decided to go to Army, you know, and part of the recruiting pitch from Dino Gaudio, who recruited me, was that it was an Army that was downsizing. Like, it was an Army at peace. Uh, Bill Clinton, the president at the time, was, was kind of downsizing the Army. And so there were, you know, you do have a five-year commitment, but part of it was you might be able to get out ahead of it just because of where the Army was at. Those towers, the, the Twin Towers, went down my senior year. Mm. And so, again, that Army-Navy game that year, uh, so the Towers came down, obviously, September 11th. We, we played that Army-Navy game in February. Like, we knew as soon as you graduated, you were going to go off to your officer basic course, and then you were going to deploy, which is ultimately what happened. And when I was in Iraq in, in 2005, I served with, with Navy guys. I mean, there were – and women. I mean, there were, there were a lot of Navy Air Force who were there that um, – that you share those stories, you know, like, Hey, how about army Navy in 2001? How right. about us? Be, you, you know, so it's, it's very unique. And obviously there's a higher calling and a higher purpose to all of it that, uh, that we all share. 
Chris Spatola, our tax dollars at work all these years later, joining us on the David Glenn Show. All right, to college basketball, one of your many other areas of expertise. It is the rare occasion, and it's become a theme of the season. We've already had a fourth number one ranked team go down. Michigan State, then Kentucky, then Duke, now Louisville. When you do your Chris Spatola, you know, top ten nationally, would all four of those teams still be among your top contenders, even though, you know, Kentucky's loss was to Louisville and even though Duke's loss was to Stephen F.A. Austin, at least the other two, Michigan State and Louisville, you know, they lost to other big contenders, right? Um, does a single game in a year like this just not mean enough to tell us a whole lot? All four of those would still be in, a, in, in my top ten. Yeah. There's absolutely. I mean, this is. You know, part of this, look, I'll be candid. I make a lot of money off of, of college covering college basketball. I love it. It's near and dear to my heart. But I, I, I wouldn't be honest with you if I didn't say this. There's two things that have been really disappointing to me. First of all, like, these rosters year to year are becoming so chaotic and hard to determine that it's, bad. it's become bad for the sport, to be honest. I mean, it's like I'm doing a game the other night, Baylor and Butler. Between the two teams, there are eight guys who did not start at either of those schools wow. that they're now with. I mean, that's crazy. And then, you know, we're playing, you know, the game is a lot younger. And, and so what you have is there are no real good teams. I mean, there are teams that I think could end up being really good, not great, but really good. Uh, but, but at this point in the year, it is, it's become such a disaster in terms of the product that's out there. Uh, I think officiating his back slided or slid, whatever. You're, you're better with the English yeah. language than I. <laughs> we'll go backslid. I, th I think officiating is, has been a disaster. I, it just has not been a good start to the year. And I think the last two years, we, it's, it's been obscured by Zion Williamson and, and just everything that he was. And, and, you know, in a sport where people used to gravitate to their schools and the, the name on the front of the jersey, we were able to gravitate the last couple of years to individual guys. You know, it was Zion Williamson and it was Trey Young. And it's just, you know, this year it doesn't have that quite – that, that pop from any individual guy. And none of these teams are really, you know, they're certainly not great. And so I think it's hurting the game. I really do. And so to, to be able to say that, like I would still argue that Louisville is the best team in the country. I mean, I've seen yeah. them in person. And, uh, you know, look, Texas Tech, that, that's a quintessential Chris Beard Texas Tech win the other night in the Garden. But I would still make an argument that they're the, they're the best team. And I don't think you could convince me otherwise. I'm with you. I mean, every one of us, I think, who watches a lot of ACC has Louisville 1A and Duke 1B. And then whether you like Virginia or somebody else after that, I think there's a little gap after the Cardinals and the Blue Devils. Given that you spent some time in that Duke culture, you know, take us into that program's mentality in mid-December. Because from the outside, we already knew Trey Jones was going to be a quality sophomore point guard, and he is an improved version of himself in various ways. We thought and now know Vernon Carey's not just a regular freshman. You know, he's going to be an all-ACC guy and even an all-America candidate. What, in Coach K's eyes, is your educated guess, what else needs to come along besides, you know, the, the experienced point guard and this mega-talented freshman big man? What else needs to get better for Duke to get where it wants to go? Yeah, you know, I, I think you can learn a lot about teams based on the way other teams play them. And I, I think we learned a lot uh, based on how Virginia Tech played Duke. I mean, obviously, Virginia Tech's well-coached. Mike Young does a great job. I, I think we learned a lot 
based on what they did. And basically what they said was, look, Vernon Carey's not going to hurt us on the offensive end because we're going to double and triple team him. There are guys on your perimeter that don't scare us in terms of their ability to play out of a Vernon Carey double. You don't shoot it nearly as well where that's going to really give us any pause. And then, oh, by the way, we're going to go after Carey and go after Matthew Hurt on the other end. We're going to put him in ball screens. We're going to get him away from the basket. And so what did Duke had to, had to do at the end of that? Like, they ended up having to go really small. So I, I think what Duke is right now going to have to figure out, and I give you know Coach K a lot of credit because he adapted in that game. He ended up going small. He ended yeah. up putting Hurt and Carey on the bench. But I, they're going to have to – Two things. One, they're going to have to become more physical. You know, that's where the Stephen F. Austin game, like that was a veteran group that went after them and really was physical with them. And that'll come in time. That's not necessarily something you go into the gym and drill. But the other thing is schematically, David, like they're going to have to figure out what lineups work in what games. And then they have to figure out, you know, exactly how they're going to defend. Because uh, remember, like you go through the last few years, that post position even though it's been dominant at times offensively, defensively, it's been a real liability. Going back to Okafor and, and Marvin Bagley and, and, and now with Carey, as good as he's been, I think the blueprint for how you're going to play Duke was in that Virginia Tech game. So uh, there's a few things they're going to have to figure out, I think, offensively and defensively lineup-wise. Well done. Thank you for your service to our country. Thank you for your continuing service to the David Glenn Show, and happy holidays to you and yours. All right, pay your taxes, Navy, <laughs> Air Force, everybody, you know, Army, we're all counting on it. Pay your taxes, people. We can count on these folks like Chris Spatola. He is on Twitter, at Chris underscore Spatola, The Athletic, ESPN, Sirius XM. He is everywhere nowadays after being – he was a star guard at Army. I'm not exaggerating about that. And spent some time with Coach K at Duke as well. John Feinstein literally wrote the book on the Army-Navy football rivalry. It was entitled A Civil War. Army versus Navy inside college football's purest rivalry. As we get a break on the college side from gridiron action, remember all the bowls and, of course, the playoff are after this coming weekend. So Army-Navy, because of the way they put it on the calendar nowadays, they really get an exclusive window as one of the more famous college sports rivalries is resumed on the gridiron. A lot of NFL action, of course, starting tonight. Week 15 action begins with the Jets at the Ravens. New York has won four of the last five. The, the Ravens of Lamar Jackson have won a team record nine straight where the victims have included Pittsburgh, Seattle, New England, Houston, the Rams, the Niners, and the Bills, all of which might be playoff teams, all of which the Ravens beat, most of them pretty handily. 1-800-849-2761. More football on the way, and of course we have our lingering questions of the day. They've produced some great answers so far. Shout out to the brilliance of our statewide audience as we come at you live in almost 300 North Carolina cities and towns. Who's the greatest single pro athlete you've ever seen? Any sport who just never got enough help to win big. I should say any team sport. If that's not uh, stated, it is implied. Who is the greatest single pro athlete in any team sport that you've ever seen who just never got enough help from ownership, from management, from his coaching staff, from his teammates to win big? His numbers were brilliant, but maybe we never or rarely saw him in the postseason. Mike Trout of the LA Angels in baseball has fit this description for eight years running. He's always brilliant, 
The Angels only made the playoffs once in that eight years and didn't win a single series even in that year. He finally is getting more help, Anthony Rendon and otherwise, Shohei Otani and otherwise, Albert Pujols and otherwise. That's a story that has a chance for the frown to be turned upside down. Some, Barry Sanders, Archie Manning, Dale Murphy of the old Braves didn't get enough help. Despite his brilliant individual brilliance, those Braves weren't very good very often. You can chime in on that question of the day. We have two others, if that's more your flavor. Bill Barnwell of ESPN says the Carolina Panthers' vacancy is number two, the second best behind only the Dallas job on his list of the nine franchises that either have a vacancy, Washington and Carolina, or are expected to have one come that Black Monday that is about two and a half weeks away. You can chime in. Is the Panthers job a good one or not right now, and why? I'll give you more of Barnwell's analysis as we welcome more of yours. 1-800-849-2761. And with Sean Clark getting promoted at App State, he's a former Mountaineers offensive lineman. He's gone from interim head coach to the full-time head coach now. Who's that best or worst example you recall of a head coach at his alma mater? The success stories have included Roy Williams at Carolina in basketball, Jim Beheim at Syracuse, Lavelle Moten at NC Central, Matt Painter at Purdue, and a bunch of others. We'll see if Patrick Ewing at Georgetown continues to be along those lines. In the football ranks right now, for every Kirby Smart at Georgia and a few others, there are middling jobs being done by guys at their alma maters and of course there are a whole lot of guys who have been fired at their alma maters including matt luke at ole miss and barry odom at missouri just in recent years who is that best or worst or most memorable example of the head coach who's at his alma mater did the experiment work did it not app state is going down that road one more time remember eli drinkwitz not an alum left the mountaineers after less than a single season Scott Satterfield, yes, a former Mountaineers quarterback, so obviously an alum, spent not only a long stretch as the Mountaineers head coach, given his time as a player and an assistant coach, the guy gave a couple decades of his life to his alma mater in the professional sense. 1-800-849-2761. Those are the questions of the day. I have more on the President's Cup in golf. A wild night in the NBA. How did Kawhi Leonard's homecoming go in Toronto? The Canes are back in action on the ice tonight at Vancouver after taking out Edmonton in this tour of West, Western Canada earlier this week. You can jump in on the college basketball, college football, NFL, or MLB headlines of the day. 1-800-849-2761 is how you can be next on The David Glenn Show. You like college football? It's Taj Boyd. Taj, how are you? Welcome I'm to the good. show. Dave, man, I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm excited to be here, man. I'm excited for the question that you're going to ask. Mark Richt of Georgia, please stop taking our best high school football players, but otherwise, thank you for the visit. Last thing for Virginia Tech coach Frank Beamer. So do we. The David Glenn Show. Thanks, David. Appreciate it a lot. You got it. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Lines are jumping. Questions of the day are floating. Week 15 action in the NFL begins tonight. Jets at Ravens. Did you know, according to the Football Outsiders website, one of my favorites, as we come to your calls, including on the question of the day, a lot of great feedback on the Mike Trout-inspired one. He's been the best player in baseball for much of the last eight seasons. His team's made only one playoff trip. Zero postseason series victories. 
unless the Angels got him more help, which they're starting to do as we follow free agency. Anthony Rendon jumping from the World Series champion Washington Rat Nationals to the L.A. Angels, where he'll join Mike Trout and Albert Pujols and Shohei Otani and other good players. Maybe, maybe Mike Trout doesn't have to retire wondering what might have happened if they build a better team team around him. He's a great guy, easy to root for. He inspired the question of the day. The legendary Lions running back, Barry Sanders, a great answer to the question of the day. The great Braves outfielder, Dale Murphy, a good answer to the question of the day. The Cubs shortstop, Ernie Banks, good answer to the question of the day. And as a reminder that these stories do not have to have sad endings. Like Archie Manning, early, late, and in between, didn't get enough help as an NFL quarterback. Both of his sons did, and they're Super Bowl champions as a result. Some people get mad when players want to jump from one franchise to another, and there are circumstances where I would be mad too. I don't like guys breaking contracts. In many contexts, I don't like them signing on the dotted line and then bailing when something goes against them when the other side would have had to live up to the contract if something didn't fall their way. There are plenty of times where I think athletes can be prima donnas or selfish or ridiculous. However, when you get to free agency, I don't, I'll put it this way. I don't think you as a fan understand the true meaning of hard work and emptying the effort bucket and trying to be great at anything in life. It is not easy to be great. If it was, everybody would do it or more people would do it. By definition, great is hard to figure out, hard to accomplish. There is always, in some complicated mix, hard work as part of the equation. If you're Mike Trout and you've worked your tail off your whole life, and yeah, you're being well compensated, I get that part, but if you work your tail off your whole life and you do your part incredibly well for stretches the best in your sport, period, at some point, are you being selfish if you want a better surrounding? One of my favorite Mike Krzyzewski stories of all time, and that guy is brilliant in ways beyond basketball, those who can't get through their hatred of all things Duke or Coach K or whatever, you're missing out. The guy's smart and West Point educated and thoughtful on matters way beyond basketball. And one of my favorite stories of his is make sure you get on the right bus in life. You control you, but if you get on the wrong bus, and as his story goes, he had to remind his mother in the city of Chicago, Mom, I understand public transportation. You know, I'm 17 years old now. I can get from A to B. And, of course, the point of the story was, Michael, I'm not talking about the physical bus. I'm not talking about you learning how to use public transportation. I'm reminding you that despite any individual greatness you may have now or in the future, if you don't surround yourselves on that bus with others who care a lot and work hard and have talent, well, then you are not going to maximize the value of what you are giving the world. That's an incredibly thoughtful, poignant point from the late Mrs. Krzyzewski that Mike Krzyzewski shared with the rest of us. If you're Anthony Davis and you spend a lot of years being great for the New Orleans Pelicans, and you give them a lot of time to figure out a way to build around you, and they don't. Do you really begrudge a guy who may be approaching the midpoint of his professional career 
Most of us are out here in the working world for 40 years. For a pro athlete, if you're great, it could still be less than 10 years. It might be 20 years, but your prime is never that long. Do you really begrudge the guy that he wants a different opportunity somewhere else where they have a better chance of surrounding him with people like, as he has found in L.A., LeBron James with the Lakers? Again, if you're breaking your contract, if you're being unprofessional, if you're a prima donna, if you're a narcissist, that's one thing, deserving of criticism. If you're that good and you worked hard to be that good, at some point, if you're sane, you want to surround yourself with others who care as much as you, work as hard as you do, and want to pursue something better and bigger and broader than individual greatness. That inspired the question of the day. Mike Trout is finally getting more help with the L.A. Angels. Where will it go? I don't know. But it is sad to see the likes of Barry Sanders or Ernie Banks or Dale Murphy or, in some cases, these guys find that help. We're not, not going to have to die wondering what might have happened if Anthony Davis got more help as an NBA basketball player. Now we're going to find out what happens when he gets more help because it's LeBron and AD and others, and the Lakers have one of the best records in the NBA. You really begrudge a guy because he wants that? If you do, if you're one of those critics and they're everywhere on social media, in my experience, those are people who don't understand hard work, don't understand what it takes to be great, and probably have never accomplished anything of significance themselves as they take lazy, ignorant, cheap shots at people who are among the best at what they do. Again, you can follow the rules. You can be unselfish. You can play to the end of your contract. There's nothing remotely selfish about saying, I'm not doing this for 20 years for individual glory. At some point, I want to get on the right bus. And if you can't do that for me here, I'm going to find it somewhere else. If you can't understand that emotion, you've probably never accomplished anything of significance on your own. 1-800-849-2761. Patrick is in Durham and next on the David Glenn Show. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Love the show. You got it. Thank you. Answer for the athlete that may not be getting enough help. Henrik Lundqvist out with the Rangers between the pipes. I mean, this is a guy who's had, I think, over 800 and something. I'm pretty sure he's approaching 900 games, had 60 shutouts. I mean, that's almost a full season's worth of shutouts. I know they've won a couple of uh, a couple of Eastern Conference titles and one President's Trophy, I think, while he was there. But that's pretty much it. Uh, I just, I'm not sure he's getting the help he really needs. Uh, and I'm not sure we'll see that in his career either. I mean, he's, he's getting on up there. As a former goalie, I can tell you, I list Henrik Lundqvist as one of the greatest goalies that I have ever seen personally. And if you broaden it to the greatest hockey players I've ever seen, think of the list. Wayne Gretzky got enough help at multiple spots, spots right? He just wasn't, he wasn't just the great one, and he had to just fiddle along by himself the way Barry Sanders often did as an NFL player. Whether it's Mario Lemieux or Sidney Crosby in Pittsburgh, right, they got enough help. They're individually brilliant, but at most of the time, in fact, for them, they had enough help to make a run. In the broad sense, Henrik Lundqvist is one of the best goalies I've ever seen, and Patrick laid out his career, uh, what it's missing and what it has. A lot of positives personally, not nearly mu as much as a team. Uh, in, in the specific sense, I just watched The King, and uh, my season tickets are not only in the front row, they're right behind the visiting goalie for two out of three periods, okay? So I get either Peter Mrazek or James Reimer one period, and I get the visiting goalie twice. 
And I get to watch these guys and the intricacies, and of course, much of it is obvious. Some of it is not as obvious. Henrik Lundqvist is great in the broad sense, great in the individual sense. And this season, I saw him come to PNC Arena with an inferior Rangers team and steal a victory from the Carolina Hurricanes. Like, it was... He could have been the first star, the second star, and the third star in that game as the Rangers beat the Canes at PNC Arena. Uh, so I've seen it all, man. I say this as a Flyers fan and as a Canes fan. It's not easy for me to compliment the New York Rangers. He is one of the greatest goalies I've ever seen, and he's a great answer to the question of the day. Thank you for playing, Patrick. And Durham, Anthony is in Clayton. And next on the David Glenn Show, go right ahead. Hey, DJ, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. What's on your mind? Well, uh, I'm just thinking about a guy that carried the likes of Matt Geiger, Jermaine Jones, and uh, Todd McCullough yeah. to an NBA Finals uh, appearance and stole a game from the steamrolling Lakers. <laughs> yeah, I remember that Sixers team. This is a good example. You know, AI doesn't have that ring, but it's not AI's fault is a good way to put it, right? Absolutely. I mean, when you think about the answer to the question, you give the answer, right? <laughs> yeah, right. That's his, that's his nickname was. So, you know, I, I think he never he never got enough help. You know, he had Andre Iguodala when he was early in his career, Kyle Korver for a few, you know, a few seasons. But even the, the final season, you know, Matumbo was at the end of his career. He never quite got the help. Um, but, you know, a four-time scoring champion, uh, and he, he was phenomenal. Well played, Anthony and Clayton. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. Let me try Matt in Wilmington because I think he's putting his finger on one aspect of the Panthers' job that is tricky. Bill Barnwell of ESPN, one of my favorite NFL writers and analysts, ranked this morning nine NFL head coaching jobs. What makes a job good? Ownership, structure, talent, base, of course, on the roster, salary cap, details, etc. And he put the Panthers' job number two behind only the Dallas Cowboys' job among the nine that are either already open, Carolina and Washington, but also seven more that may be open about two and a half weeks from now. Matt and Wilmington, as Bill Barnwell did his breakdown, he listed a whole bunch of positives. David Tepper, wealthiest owner in the NFL, and, you know, Christian McCaffrey under contract, Luke Keekley under contract, other key pieces. And then as his biggest negative, he wrote exactly what is on your mind, I think. Matt and Wilmington, welcome to the show. Go right ahead. Hey, Dave. I really appreciate you having me on. Sure. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the Panthers. Um, now, certainly not to take away from the Cowboys. They have a bunch of talent. But the Panthers, I've been a fan my entire life. And what I've seen is they've got so much young talent, guys that are still on salary cap-friendly deals, that gives the new head coach an opportunity to evaluate these players moving forward. It's a nice starting foundation. So he's not necessarily worried about that first year. But then with Cam Newton, I mean, there are very few scenarios where a guy can come into an organization right off the bat and have an MVP quarterback. Now, it's still out to be seen how Cam is, but right. he does have the talent around him. And he does have an opportunity to be back to that 2015 Cam and even better, being able to rely on who, in my biased opinion, of course, I agree, Christian McCaffrey is the best running back in the NFL. 
And by the way, Matt in Wilmington, your optimism about the return of Cam Newton, who did have that foot surgery, who is expected to be healthy by this spring, which would make him available, obviously, for preseason camp and then, you know, the August camp that even matters more. Uh, Bill Barnwell, despite listing 10 other positive things about the Panthers' job in his eyes, he actually listed the quarterback uncertainty as sort of his biggest question mark about the Panthers' job. So if your optimism ends up being justified, then it's an even better job than these other seven that, that are listed here because he's thinking can't, what happens next with Cam physically and what happens next with Cam contractually is hard to predict, hard to know, and, and until he's healthy, hard to know what you should do as an organization. But you mentioned a lot of the other things that he sees as positives as well. There are guys getting older. There are guys on expiring contracts. But if you have Luke Keekley on defense signed well into the future, you have Christian McCaffrey with one year left. You do have to negotiate with him an extension at some point soon. Other than quarterback, which has at least some uncertainty, we'll see how the Cam story plays out. You have the opportunity to re-sign James Bradbury as a talented young cornerback coming up. You have, uh, I'd say, far more good than bad when it comes to the current salary cap situation. There have been times, you know, Marty Herney part one, where the Panthers had a hand, behind their a hand tied behind their back in free agency because they gave too many large sentimental contracts and were kind of hamstrung as a result. There's not nearly as much of that right now. When Barnwell did his breakdown, he listed Washington ninth out of nine. And what did he say was the biggest weakness? Team ownership. Dan Snyder is, continued, is considered a clown and by many Washington fans, much less the media. Number eight on the list, the next worst job that's likely to come available, the New York Giants. Biggest strength, market. Biggest weakness, lack of talent on the roster. Yes, there's Saquon Barkley at running back. Yes, there's Daniel Jones off to a promising start, the former Duke star at QB. Beyond that, not nearly as much by NFL standards. The New York Jets, the next worst job. Biggest strength, promising quarterback in young Sam Darnold. We'll see Darnold tonight as the Jets visit the Ravens of Lamar Jackson. Biggest weakness for the Jets, lack of talent. So what's he thinking about? Who's the owner? How much returning talent is on the roster? How much stability is there, et cetera? How much salary cap space is there? So it goes from the very best situation, the Dallas Cowboys, he calls the best of the nine jobs, either open or about expected to come open. Panthers were the second best, and I do think that's a fair assessment. He had the Falcons third. Dan Quinn technically still employed there, but expected to be shown the door here in just a couple of weeks. He had the Lions fourth, and he described – Ownership as the biggest weakness in Detroit. Cleveland Browns fifth ownership as the biggest weakness for the Browns. He had Jacksonville sixth, no quarterback being the biggest weakness. All these things matter, right? And then the Jets were seventh, the Giants were eighth, and Washington was ninth. It's just, it's good to see and feel that the Panthers job is viewed as that desirable by a guy that I think, well, I know he talks to coaches regularly, including guys who would be candidates for the Panthers job, but is also, in my experience, just one of the best experts on the NFL period. I judge folks a lot in sports and beyond by this. I don't care as much whether I agree with what you say or write as whether you know how to build an intelligent argument or not.
And Bill Barnwell of ESPN, to me, has the expertise to build intelligent arguments, and he knows how to build them, whether it's on this topic or any others. One of my favorites on the National Football League, an occasional guest here on the David Glenn Show. 1-800-849-2761. Oh, man, David has a really good answer to the question of the day. Uh, we have a couple of those floating. Coaches at their alma maters in honor of Sean Clark getting the App State head coaching football job. We have the, the most popular one so far. Who's the greatest single pro athlete in a team sport? that you've seen who just never got enough help from ownership, from management, from his teammates to win at a high level. Mike Trout in baseball has been that in that sport for some time. He's finally getting more help via free agency. Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson, Dale Murphy, Ernie Banks, Archie Manning, Anthony Davis in New Orleans, not as much with the Lakers. You can add to that list with your answer to that question of the day. We're coming back to your calls. John Feinstein literally wrote the book on the Army-Navy football rivalry, which resumes this weekend. John joins us live in 20 minutes. It's back to your calls next on The David Glenn Show. UNC coach Roy Williams is joining us. You are uncomfortable with your name in the same sentence as Dean Smith. I know that I will never be as good as he was in, in any way. Yet when I hear people say those things, yeah, those things are pretty neat. I, but I try to make sure that's about as far as I go. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We have a question of the day for NFL and Panthers fans, a question of the day for college sports fans, those who fared very well at their alma mater, Roy Williams at UNC in basketball, among the leaders there, Steve Spurrier at Florida in football, Bear Bryant at Alabama in football, and a handful of others, Philip Fulmer at Tennessee, a national champion at his alma mater as well. Army-Navy week, Heisman week, more of your phone calls, and the most popular question of the day involves Mike Trout and the LA Angels getting more help finally. For eight years, he's been great, but his team has not been. Zero postseason series victories, even as Mike Trout has been the reigning best player in that sport for quite some time and a long stretch in his eight years at the major league level. Barry Sanders in the NFL, Dale Murphy in Major League Baseball, among many others. We're getting them for the NBA and other sports, too. You can be next with your answer to the question, who is that greatest single pro athlete in a team sport you've ever seen who was brilliant individually but just never got enough help to win big. Maybe it was the ownership's fault. Maybe it was management's fault. Maybe it was bad coaching. Maybe it was bad defenses or special teams. Maybe it was something else. I think David in Durham has one of the best answers that hasn't been mentioned so far. Welcome to the program. Hey, David, what's going on? Hey, man, not much. Uh, just want to throw Larry Fitzgerald's name into it. Yeah, if, of, I don't know how long you've been an NFL fan, but think about who are the best wide receivers you've ever seen. And whereas, you know, a Jerry Rice had plenty of moments in the spotlight, given that the Niners built something around his individual brilliance, how rarely have we seen Larry Fitzgerald in big games or, or you know, having a chance to make a run at bigger team success? It just doesn't feel like it's happened very often. Yeah, they had that one Super Bowl run, and then after that, it's, He's just kind of settled around, but always stays in the top. And he has more career tackles than drops, which is an astounding fact. <laughs> that is an incredible number. That is a great contribution. Thank you for playing, David. Yeah, I mean, Barry Sanders didn't have that one example. That's what makes some of these, you know, Mike Trout hasn't had that one example yet. 
at, le- at least Larry Fitzgerald had that in a career that makes him, to me, one of the greatest NFL wide receivers I've ever seen, you know, somewhere on that short list behind the legendary Jerry Rice. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. Corey is in Wilmington and next on the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Hey, Corey, what's going on? Hey, Dave. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What's up? I just had two, two basketball names for you guys. Uh, big stars, had some help, great talents themselves, but never won the big game, Charles Barkley and Patrick Ewing. I think you're right, man. A lot of individual success. Now, at least in their case, it wasn't just tumbleweeds when it came to, you know, postseason opportunities. Uh, the en- championship opportunities. Yeah, right? exactly. I mean, just Charles is on that forever list of among the more accomplished NBA players who never got that championship ring. And you could probably say Patrick Ewing is somewhere on that list as well. So those are good contributions. And and to me, the contrast, like Dan Marino didn't get enough help to win a Super Bowl in the NFL, but Dan Marino got enough help to be a regular playoff participant, right? And and even make some postseason runs. Some of these examples, man, are just disheartening. Mike Trout with the Angels is one of those disheartening examples. Barry Sanders of the Lions, because, you know, Anthony Davis has found his L.A. Lakers after the miserable mediocrity of so many years of his prime in New Orleans. At least you eventually get a chance. You know, at least Marino had some of those runs. Barkley had some of those runs. The the Knicks with Ewing had some of those runs. I feel bad for the guys that did everything they could possibly do themselves and were in some cases the best player in their sport and just didn't get enough help to even make the playoffs very often. And Mike Trout, you know, may be as good an example of any. Will he turn out more like Anthony Davis? Is he finally getting the help later in his prime that maybe the Angels will make a playoff trip after having no playoff series wins in his whole eight years of individual brilliance? We'll see. Long way to go. But in case you're wondering, that's what inspired the question of the day. More of your calls later. John Feinstein live. He wrote the book literally on the Army-Navy football rivalry. The prolific American sports author joins us in about 10 minutes. Your calls, too, on The David Glenn Show. Kevin Harlan is joining us. It was a boring game, and the guy ran out right through the formation as if he was a wide receiver <laughs> to be a part of the play. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. You always think of calling that dramatic last-second buzzer-beating shot or a touchdown pass or, or something more historic. This is the David Glenn Show. Army-Navy is one of the most celebrated rivalries in all of college sports. It resumes this weekend, and we have the guy who literally wrote the book, He called it a civil war, Army versus Navy inside college football's purest rivalry. John Feinstein on those things and more next on the David Glenn Show. Gary Player joining us. This morning I did 1,300 sit-ups and crunches. Wow. I pushed 300 pounds with my legs and I ran on the treadmill. You are one of the legends of golf and you've been an inspiration as a person as well. What a nice compliment and God bless America. You're listening to The David Glenn Show.